Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, a podcast dedicated to helping you win at love, at life, and at making babies. And in today's episode, we have a really cool guy. His name is Naokimi Yushiroda. He's my friend, first and foremost. He's been my friend for a while, but now he's also the Prez. The president of the FFWPU, the American wing of the body of unification. And he's got a lot of responsibility, but he took time out of his ridiculously busy schedule to sit down virtually with me and discuss sex, discuss the future of our movement. And actually, it's really exciting. If you stick around to the end, at the end, he really gets into what he envisions our movement becoming. And it has everything to do with what I Noon has been working towards. So enjoy and welcome now, Kimmy. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with my buddy, my old neighbor, but now I can't be so informal with him. We can't just walk around in our flip flops as neighbors because he is the president of the Family Federation for World Peace. And maybe you can explain about the Heavenly Parent Holy Community and how that fits into if you're the president of that too. But his name is Naokimi Yushiroda. I don't know if you have a middle name, but maybe we'll get into that too. No middle name. You're like Madonna, except the Japanese version. My wife is like that too, isn't it? Is it Asian thing? Do Japanese people have middle names? Generally not. It's usually other cultures that adopt middle names or their original name become their middle name and they create a new name when they come to America. But uh... So I see what happens. So there's a lot of Japanese people in Mexico and Brazil. Maybe, I don't know about Mexico, but like down there, they have four names. They have two middle names. So they took up the slack when Japanese people like no middle names. <laughs> there are all these and middle names you. floating around <laughs> yeah, the other sphere. So you're now Kimi Yushiroda and you are president of just the family fed or is that like an umbrella for subsidiary? Like, are you the president of ACLC or does ACLC report to you? Are you president well, of a lot of things? Well, as the president of Family Federation, there's a lot of additional automatic board positions you have to take in other entities that are related and things like that. But as far as I know, this is the only kind of title that I carry as the president for Family Federation. So as soon as they put like the president lanyard on you, you inherit in your Google calendar just a ton of board meetings of all these <laughs> That is one of the things that happens, yes. I was like, I didn't know I was part of the UTS board. Okay, I guess it's <laughs> automatic. It's part of the job. So basically, um, all day, every day, you're on a Zoom meeting. And <laughs> just for reference, you are wearing pants, yes? I am. Yes, I am wearing pants. Fantastic. So he's a real professional, folks. He's the real deal. And so you are, you have a lot of responsibility but you and I used to share an office. You and I have spent some time together. As neighbors, I think I only remember going to your house one time. We had a tiny place, so you didn't come over to our house. I think we invited you, and then you're like, yeah, actually, no, can you come to our house? Did, no, we did come <laughs> once. We did come okay. once. Yeah, I remember. Got it. Yeah. We were living on top of these really old people. We were living on top of old people. <laughs> yeah, don't <laughs> tell your friends. They were adorable. Anyway, back then we got into a lot of stuff and I think we you know, spent enough time with each other that we're eternally connected to some degree. We're tethered and the cable that connects us expands and retracts every so often. But I'm glad to have you here and on high noon. Welcome, El President. And, Thanks for uh, having me, Andrew. Appreciate it. Yeah. And you and I, we've talked about sex in the past. You're kind of like Milhan Stevens where, you know, it's like you don't bring it up, but when the topic is brought up, you get a little excited. <laughs> you, like, you like talking about it. 
you know, some people like they go inward and they get shy. They don't want to talk about you, but like a spark lights up in you. There's some, you know, we're talking about sex. (laughs) (laughs) You just like materialize and join a conversation when, when people talk about sex. So I did want to get into that, but first I wanted to get into your background. You're older than me. I'm sniffing 40, like this year, 2021, I'm turning 40, but you've already been there, done that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 42 in two days. Two days. So, well, like Sam, double perfect. <laughs> so we caught you probably last interview before 42, before you've passed your prime. And you're blessed. You're blessed in marriage. Yeah, just a couple of days ago or three days ago, we celebrated our 21st blessing anniversary. 20. And, wow. Yeah. So we've been together longer than we've been single at this point. Oh my God. And I caught you, that's a weird, crazy timing for this interview. It's right after your anniversary and right before your birthday. And you guys have two kids. Yes, two kids, one boy, 16, and girls turning 13 this Get month. out of here. Your son is 16 years old? 16, junior in college. I mean, in high school, getting ready for college. That's insane. He was a little guy the last time I saw him. Carrying around Nemo, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so, well, this brings up, so you you got a 16-year-old son. This is, we're dealing with teens and people in their 20s mostly. We now have groups of moms talking about mom issues, dad talking about dad issues. We've opened up the spectrum, but our core demographic is, you know, teenage and like young adults, whatever that means, up until maybe 25, whatever. And so have you opened this conversation with your son? Have you guys talked at all about sex not really i think i more like indirectly through sermons or going to workshops for the youth and that kind of thing but i think also growing up we didn't really get the talk so it's not something that we've inherently learned growing up how to do so we haven't really had like the birds and the bees talk i know that they had that education at school but yeah, we haven't really talked about it so much. Got it. And you did you get anything when you were a kid at all? Or it was just like, you see this thing over here? It's going to kill you if you look at it, if you touch it. <laughs> yeah, I think most of that spiritual sex ed was in workshops, in uh, church kind of workshops in the summertime or things like that, but not really so much at home. I um, heard, like, are you talking about like Camp Sunrise kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, Camp Sunrise. I heard that was a lot of, I don't know how to put this, negative reinforcement or scare tactics. Yeah, I think that was a general approach was basically if you quote unquote fall or have, you know, sexual relations, you're going straight to hell. Or even if you look at a girl the wrong way, you're, you got the yellow flag and, you know, there's different levels. But yeah, it was pretty fear driven, I think. So what was that like? Like growing up in that environment, you go to this workshop. And the only thing you ever hear publicly spoken about sex is terror inducing. How do you fill in the blanks? Like, how did you learn about sex? Like, or did you even bother? You just like, just close that door and you locked it until you got blessed or like, what would happen? Yeah. What did I do? I guess, I guess in general, I was somewhat sheltered. I wouldn't say completely. I mean, we're talking just living in America. So it was back in the day, it was more like magazines and things like that. There was no internet. Sure. <laughs> I'm 40. I'm talking about a time without internet. <laughs> You're talking about pterodactyls <laughs> and the invention of the wheel and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, generally, I would say I was kind of more raised in an environment where it was 
focused on academics and church life and things like that. Didn't really have someone to talk with about it so much growing up, but I've always found like if I, I felt like I had a pretty strong conscience whenever something was going in the wrong way, I would actually like start a condition or something. I don't remember where I picked really? these things up. Yeah. <laughs> but you kind of, you'd handle it by yourself. Like you would course yeah, correct I remember, yourself. Yeah. I don't remember having anyone like really back in the day, like help kind of course correct for me. Like I'd had to do it on my own, I think. Yeah, that's how it was. And can I ask, like, were you curious growing up or you just, you felt your conscience was saying, just wait until later, figure it out later? Because I mean, even like, you know, we hear in a lot of religious homes when a movie comes in and there's a kissing scene, like, who was it? Somebody the other day said their dad would take his head and shove his head down. So like in an emergency when a plane is crashing, like that kind of, his dad would just shove his head down to his knees and wouldn't let him see it. And then that obviously was confusing for him. So like, what would happen in that situation at home if you saw well, the movie? My dad dealt with that situation by throwing out the TV. <laughs> Did he actually, like he chucked the TV? Well, one time I just remember, like, it wasn't because of bad scene, but I think we were watching TV too much and not listening to him. So he literally threw out the TV. So we didn't have TV at home. <laughs> oh, wow. So no internet, no TV. You were basically <laughs> Amish growing up. <laughs> well, I did go to my friend's house to play video games. That was the one thing I got really into was get my homework done and play video games. Yeah, that was... So you had a pretty sheltered experience. Did you have any bad friends that were like, hey, check this out? Because we do know a ton of kids that the first time being exposed to porn was like at a church camp or on a bus on the way to a church event or something. So were there any bad yeah. influences in your life? Yeah, I remember third grade was probably, yeah, was probably when, was it third it was either third or sixth grade. I remember one kid came around with the same thing like, hey, did you, you know, check this out kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. That so was like, okay, that's, I haven't seen that before, you know, kind of that. You just left it at that? Well, I mean, I didn't really have much other access at that time. Again, there wasn't much other than magazines. Yeah, and, yeah. And plus we were broke. I had no money. We didn't have allowance. <laughs> like if you want to shelter your kids, just give them no money. No, <laughs> no, no access, money. no TV, no money. <laughs> yeah, well, so. it seemed to work with you. I mean, I haven't heard so many testimonies like this. And so you're sheltered and you are also not the type of personality to take that as an opportunity to rebel against your parents. And like, because some people, the more that they're sheltered, the more that they are allergic to that type of censoring and the more that they want to seek after, well, what are you hiding here? So you're simultaneously sheltered and guided by your conscience and somehow you're just okay. You didn't have any, you never wondered about the opposite sex. Or well, I mean, I'm a guy. Of course, there's, you know, curiosity and okay. things like that, but I'm just trying to remember. It was obviously nothing that was traumatic and ingrained in you. Yeah. Or maybe it was too traumatic that it's, <laughs> it's buried. <laughs> I see. Well, that's pretty amazing. And then you were able to hold out until you were blessed. Like, is that well, I, I mean, I got blessed relatively young, I would say. I was turning 21 when I was when I got blessed. So that I mean, not that getting blessed helps address these issues anyway, but I was gonna say, yeah, 
But then, so you're in a very common situation that we've talked with many people about, which is you're basically coming in cold. You like, you get blessed and then you're, though your whole experience about the opposite sex up until that point is restrain, 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 control yourself. And then it's like, you're given the keys to a Ferrari and like, okay, go, go, go. Good luck. You're right. With no instructions. Well, right? Yeah. <laughs> no instructions, but it wasn't go good luck because. My Ferrari didn't give me the keys for a while. <laughs> I see. So it took a slow start, slow start. Yeah. And I know your wife is not here and maybe she doesn't want you to get so open, but was it basically what you're saying is it took some time to find a rhythm in terms of your own, like what finding out, discovering what real sex is? Well, I mean, after we got blessed, I mean, it took nine months of just kind of communicating on a weekly basis and visiting. So you lived in opposite states? At that time, we were in the same state. So yeah, I was able to. I was still on my second year and third year of STF that time. And she was in her second year of college in New York. So we were able to visit and see each other, things like that. But yeah, it was a relatively slow start. She was, yeah, I don't think she liked me from the beginning. So I had to (laughs) warm her up a little bit. What did you do to woo your wife? Was there any, did you have to figure out what she liked, flowers or something? Maybe daily phone call, I mean, weekly phone calls. I think going out for movies, that was something and eating good food. I mean, the basics, I guess. But I think it was, it took a while to kind of gain her trust that this is someone who is going to stick around, I guess. Got it. Yeah. That was- so you were initially blessed in a ceremony, but it took a while for her to like really accept you as her, like to feel like your husband and wife kind of. Yeah. Someone that, you know, that cares about her. I think that's what it was. Like she needed to know that it wasn't just the ceremony, but that, that I, I did care about her. So I think those were the things that helped, you know, make her open up. Well, do you think it was good for you? Because a lot of people I know, myself included, it's like when you go to the blessing and you didn't necessarily actively pursue somebody, it's kind of like you take them for granted because men love the hunt. We love pursuing. And if we don't have to, it kind of does something to us, you know? So it sounds like you're in a way she's making sure you really wanted mm-hmm. her, right? And so would do you think it was ultimately good for you as well? Yeah, I mean, I think I am quite a hunter type. So <laughs> I always like a challenge, you know, and she never You're the fails. president of the unification. <laughs> we know you um, like a challenge. Yeah, so yeah, I think it was good in the sense that, you know, it gave us time to get to know each other before we got intimate with each other. And I think- these days, there is a whole recommended matching process and a seven-month, you know, waiting period or preparation period. And I think all that is really good. Back in the day, it was like, you're matched, you're blessed three days later, and, you know, good luck. Yeah. So I'm glad. I'm glad that, you know, she resisted, you know, just jumping in the deep end. So you guys were like super young, and she's in college, you're on STF, so you're like unshowered and just ridiculous. Well, and we had showers, you know, yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, yeah. <laughs> but then you're, all of a sudden, you find yourself blessed, And but like, how long would you say it took before you really felt like, I have a wife, this is my wife, and like, she really felt like, you know, like, you guys are in this, you know, because I'm sure even when you're going on dates, it's more like getting to know you, it's almost like really preliminary, but not husband and wife, right? So how long did it take? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, it depends. Like, I think once we had sex, that was kind of a consummation kind of, definitely you don't do this with someone that's not your spouse. So that's one benchmark. But I think another major benchmark was, you know, moving in together and having living together. Because even if, you know, she was still in school, I was on SDF, then I went to school to finish up. So we didn't actually live together until 2004. This is four years later. Wow. So I think that was a major benchmark. And in between them, I think one significant thing was we did have a wedding. And I think that was really special for, especially for her, but also for me. She had really wanted to do it. I kind of was like, ah, we already got blessed. Why do we need to spend money, right? But <laughs> Mr. Practical Pants. <laughs> we ended up making a profit, so it was all good. Um, but <laughs> she really insisted. And we had a really beautiful experience where we had so many family and friends come and celebrate and share testimonies and performances. And it just really made it like beyond just this individual commitment that we made to heaven it was our whole family really acknowledging and supporting this union and so that was really beautiful having that that is cool no i i hear you we got married in my wife and i got married like in town hall the same week as the blessing just for legal reasons but we never had like a wedding yeah and well we'll get there yeah we had to do that before the wedding so that was also another thing yeah we did the town hall thing and then we we had the wedding yeah, it's, I just find it really cool of how countercultural that is to be married to somebody for four years before you move in with them. You know, like people usually they meet and then they sleep together and then they kind of end up spending a lot of time in each other's house. And like when you know it's serious, not as when you've already had sex, it's like when you move your toothbrush into their house or your dog into their house, that's a commitment. It's like, wait a second, that's a commitment. Sex isn't a commitment. Oh my God. So imagine that you guys are married. You've already married. And then four years later, you really commit to living together. It's like, it's incredible. I love that. I really love it because it's so countercultural. And the norm, the pervasive norm is so backwards and doesn't work clearly by every measurement. It's like, it's broken and everybody knows it's broken, but everybody's like, I can't think of anything better. Well, that's better. But it doesn't like, if you were to tell, if even if somebody were to tell you, you're going to get blessed. And then four years later, you're going to live together with your wife. I think you would have struggled quite a bit if you knew it like ahead of time right? But it ended up being the best possible course for you. Yeah, it worked out. And I think, you know, part of it was we did start off as a distant relationship because she was in school in New York. I was in Pennsylvania. So we had to like visit during, you know, different breaks that we had. And that was a really special time. I mean, we both decided, you know, to join our respective Taekwondo teams and we would literally compete in the same tournaments, but on opposite teams. <laughs> Whoa. Do you have um, to kick your wife's butt? Well, they do gender, you know, they have, oh, okay. yeah. But we would really- But did you impress her or not? Of course I did. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> nice. you should see all my trophies. No. <laughs> was it really attractive to see your wife kicking some other woman's butt? Yeah. I mean, it was just fun. Like, because- you know, in college, people have girlfriend, boyfriends and all that kind of stuff. So that definitely made it a little easier kind of, you know, having, quote unquote, a girlfriend. Well, she's Is that wife. who she was? Yeah. <laughs> Did you tell and other I, people this to your friends? I don't remember if I told my friend she was my wife, but I think I know my roommate knew because first week I moved in, he's like, he comes up to me. He's like, so you're married? <laughs> <laughs> what? How do you like? 
he googled me and he he saw all these blessing photos and <laughs> my god yeah i couldn't hide it much i think for for those i wasn't so close with i think it was too much to understand being married and still a sophomore in college so yeah yeah no these days it's just like oh you're religious you've got to be religious like this <laughs> nobody gets married until they're like 40 now <laughs> yeah and so, okay, that's awesome. That's a really good background. A lot of stuff I didn't even know. And so now, I mean, you know, throughout this time, you went to business school. You went to a fancy, you know, business school in Pennsylvania. I was uh, so fancy cleaning the floors of the dining rooms. <laughs> really? <laughs> At Penn. That was my part-time job. Is that Penn State? Yeah, Penn State. This was called U Penn. U Penn. Big difference. <laughs> Penn State is the prison. <laughs> Penn State is the state school. UPenn is the, the Ivy League school. Yeah. So you're an Ivy Leaguer, but somehow you always felt kind of called to give back. And you've been working in CARP. You've been working in when we shared an office, you had no role. You're just floating around and you had no idea what going. Your job was to be in esoteric free fall. And, but now you've ended up as president. And I just wanted to get into like theology and sexuality, which is awesome. It's an awesome time because honestly speaking, before we'd be like this nagging voice to anybody at headquarters. We're like, yeah, yeah, shut up. We don't want to hear about your sex. You guys are these weird, obsessed people. But now we have Dr. Young, who's openly like people are like, high noon, pave the way so that Dr. Young can, you know, like, because everybody's kind of like primed. They weren't shocked. They didn't fall off their chairs when he started speaking the way he did. I think because they're like, they've been bludgeoned by high noon so much, right? Exposed. But now this is like a topic of, you know, noteworthy attention. Like it's worth our attention, yeah. obviously. It's where it's such a point in history where it's like to ignore it, you would have to be insane, right? So I'd like to get into sexuality and religion and talk about the good and the, the bad because in your, you as the president, like you're exposed to the good and the bad of our own faith and in faith in general and like big organizations of faith and I'm sure you've had a lot of time to think about a lot of stuff, but as it pertains to sex, like what do you think our movement has to offer that's like a fresh outlook on sexuality, something that we can help people with? Where do you see us adding value that True Parents Words or what we've done with True Parents Words? Like you talked about the matching system we have. That took a while, right? To get mm -hmm. that seven months really was like, I know some of the people that really worked hard to bring that to the surface. That took decades, right? of mistakes yeah, yeah. and trial and error. So what type of value do you think that our movement really can offer to this world in, in terms of sexuality? I think, well, there's some things that come to mind, but the first thing is just the concept of absolute sexuality is kind of a term that was coined by Father Moon where your whole existence is for the sake of your partner. And so, you know, sexuality is seen in our community or in our faith perspective as the holy of holies. Again, that's not how we were taught or learned it growing up, but the intention or the original perspective of sexuality is, is that it is the holy of holies. And whenever we heard Father talk about sex, he was very bold and open about it, you know, saying this is what God wanted to see from the very beginning. Is, you know, he was right there in that moment wanting to see that first penetration, you know, that kind of heavenly porn. But the key is that this whole concept of for the sake of others, sure. of your partner versus sexuality is generally seen as dirty because it's actually from the beginning, 
even theologically, it was very self-centered. That's how we started with sex. Yeah, so sexuality, what's meant to be the most precious and holy and intimate and personal became very, yeah, very cheap and also, you know, easily accessible and just for pleasure, uh, no emotion and that kind of thing. So it took away the value of sex. And in one sense, we're re-elevating the sexual experience to the highest level that it can be. I see. Yeah, that's a great explanation. And so, I mean, we're faced with this a lot where honestly, we might be, we've spoken all around the world at this point and, and some cultures and some countries, it's not even countries because we can go to different states and different cultures within the state and the community. Some people are like, wow, we've been waiting to hear this. And other people are like, you can't say that. And when we hear that you can't say that, it's like, all we're doing is like, that quote says Reverend Moon un underneath it. We didn't, we're just repeating. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but you can't say that. And it's like, oh, because what you mentioned is Father Moon was very open about this. But then to go back to our earlier, the earlier part of this conversation, the education you got was very shame driven and fear based. And like, what do you think happened there where you have this word that's pretty clear? Right. But then you have a lot of miscommunication on the ground or, you know, like it wasn't his words weren't often repeated as stated. There's a lot of. Yeah. And I think it's because depending on the level of the receptivity of the people he's speaking with, that determined mm -hmm. how much could be reconveyed or recommunicated. Because there's the generational decade. What is that? Aeon's culture of Japanese culture or you know, sure. Korean culture, whatever culture that people, you know, regardless of their faith in the movement and faith in true parents, they have their own cultural upbringing. So mm -hmm. even if he says certain words, it's not the same as really being able to understand and own and even share those same words. And even these words, if you haven't really like contemplated and digested them, it's hard for you to even repeat these words. Sure. You know, the things that he shared, unless you really had to wrestle with it first. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And so how do you see this playing out? Like we're in this culture, worldwide porn, like, I don't know if you know, but like while we were in Mongolia and I gave a talk there at a camp. There's not that many members left, to be honest, but the ones that were there came and... I was like, yeah, we're in the countryside in Mongolia. These people probably don't struggle with porn. I found out there's so many, so many issues. All to do with sex. Sex, fallen sex, broken sex touches every corner of this earth. Sure. And sure. so here we are and we have, you know, the sexual market has been saturated with selfishness and wrongness and human trafficking, all this stuff. You have our movement, which has a very unique perspective. How do you feel like we can influence or impact culture or do we need to, or do we just create our own culture? Like in, as we move into the era of Channel Gook and as this emerges from us, like how do you feel like, you know, from you're in that position where you, you're looking down on all different facets of our movement. How do you feel like we can influence the sexual side of culture in a heavenly way. Yeah, what I see is it's about, I think the best way to approach it is getting really real, honest, and also sharing it from the perspective of true freedom. Because America is really big on freedom and honesty and integrity, if we use that angle to show, it's kind of like shining a light on it, right? So you're watching porn, and you can't stop. How free are you? Versus sure. you're able to control that. You're not dependent on porn. And you're able to focus on working on yourself and your ability to love and care for somebody. You sh just 
plainly share the contrast of those two lights and then be open and say, which one would you like to choose? And I think it's gotten so bad that people get that this is not the kind of life they want to live. It's like short-lived pleasure, but like you're a slave. You don't have your free will. You can't even have confidence in yourself because of this, right? So compare that to providing a solution where people can be free of that, gain their original confidence, and be able to work on themselves to love somebody enough to make a committed relationship last. Absolutely. Right? So I feel we do have the way that we present it as really offering true freedom. Hmm. That, I think, could sell. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I was having this conversation yesterday with somebody that when, like, when you're younger and there's magazines, like, there were no real... There were people who identified as sex addicts, but those people had like real issues of like, they were creeps. They were, you know, doing stuff in back alleys, whatever. But magazines didn't hook your senses as much as high definition stuff. And because we were talking about virtual reality and like, holy crap, if we're so engaged, not just with porn, but just like so obsessed with our phones, imagine virtual reality. But what I really realized is that it's more visually stimulating to the mind and to the body, but it also deprives the spirit more and more and the spirit gets so malnourished Mm -hmm. that people are identifying so much more clearly and acutely that I am dying, you know? And so if we go to this realm of virtual reality and porn are the main industry investing in this technology, that yes, it's going to stimulate us in ways that we can't even fathom as a human race. But at the same time, it's going to suffocate our souls to such a degree that it's almost forcing people to seek us and our help. And that's what I'm wondering, like in terms of the blessing, because I know we have a lot of big goals. Yeah, I've seen some numbers, some very lofty, big, a lot of zeros, kind of like 30,000, you know. seven years so in so doing like try to imagine thirty thousand people going to the blessing what percentage of them are going to have dysfunctional perspectives and relationships with sexuality like uh, how do you feel like that plays into the blessing because there's you know one talk that i used to give a lot is the blessing as a ceremony the blessing as a way of life and how it's both it's both and and so in terms of like living a blessed life how do you feel like our movement with True Parents Words with can help all these ACLC pastors that are getting blessed to have heavenly sexuality. Yeah, that's actually where I see the future of Family Federation going. Wow. Instead of a church, it's going to be more of a family service center where Amazing. we have different products and services that support healthy, happy families. And one of our key products is going to be the blessing. But more specifically than the blessing, it's going to be the 43-day package. What's this extra three days? What's going on? (laughs) Where everyone is going to come to Family Federation for the education and support to complete this 43-day challenge. Where 40 days, they have a practice sexual fasting and redirect their energies on their internal relationship with God, themselves, their sense of integrity, their values. They engage in, it's almost like, a, you know, those retreats where you have to detox and then you have to get yeah. like, this is like a spiritual detox retreat, you know, kind of concept where for 40 days, you're cutting away from all the unhealthy spiritual foods, right? And you're infusing yourself with healthy spiritual foods. And at 
at the end of it, you're going to go through a three-day ceremony that redefines how you embrace or relate with sexuality, Amazing. where it's now centered on heavenly perspective and you won't see sex the same way again and you won't see your partner the same way again. That's the package we're going to sell. And wow. for singles, it's going to be very similar Except instead of they'll still have the 40 day sexual integrity challenge and you know a lot of good spiritual food, but at the end of it, instead of doing a three day ceremony since they don't have a partner yet, it's a commitment to preparing for the blessing. And I think that's where they're able to really transform their lives and their priorities in their life. And they're going to need a lot of support even after those 40 days. But the idea is that they plug into that. They make their new commitment. Maybe we need a ring or something, but you know, something to show their commitment and they're on track to really prepare to commit to loving one person. Uh, what is our church's stance on tattoos? Can they get a tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> a true love weights tattoo, right? <laughs> yeah, man, that's permanent. Well, just so you know, just for your reference, it is very encouraging that you know, like I said, we started with one thing. Our focus is porn and it's for young men. That's where we started. And now it's expanded to mothers really working on being amazing wives and moms and to be fulfilled and to help their family facilitate God and is helping them in their tribal messiahship work and all this. But now it's also, we were very reluctant to work with younger people, but now we have this group of young guys who are 13, 12, who are working together with their dads and they're preparing for the blessing at such a young age and they're gaining sexual integrity to such a degree that I didn't honestly think was possible for a 12 or 13 year old. That doesn't mean avoiding the bad stuff. It means being so honest with their parents, with themselves of who they want to be and what they want, that it's we're in an era where this stuff is very much possible. Because to be honest, I see Ilshim programs as kind of like a lottery ticket for a lot of people because they're agreeing to stuff that they don't even in many cases, really know what they're up against when they're 13, what high school is going to look like, like the amount of temptations that they're going to be faced is like, it's really hard for them to sign on the dotted line with authority, you know, without support, without a culture. But it is happening more that parents and children are both working together as that preparation for the blessing is an ongoing, never ending thing that starts the second you're born up yeah. until you're blessed. And then after you are blessed, it still continues that you're preparing for a, a better blessing, a radiant blessing, right? Yeah. And I think the service like Ilshim could be evolved to include this kind of support. And I think Absolutely. any parent who knows the reality of the sexualized culture is going to want that kind of support for their kids. I feel like we're entering in an age where we will become more and more relevant because people will come to realize that they need this. They need something. And I think we need it too. We still need to develop this. <laughs> yeah, but I sure. feel like because of the content and education we receive from your parents and also because Dr. Young is so much into this absolute sex concept and so confident about the transformative effect of it, I feel like we are in the prime time to be able to develop this stuff. Awesome. That's amazing. It's very encouraging. That's been hot on our minds for a while. Because it's kind of like when you're on a ship, you're on the Titanic and it's sinking. And then you're like, hey, it's sinking. And people are like, no, it's not. And like, yeah, it is. And they're like, no, it's not. They're like, you can say it's not, but that doesn't mean that it's not sinking. That's like, what we've been going around. No, it's not. Seeing. Yeah, <laughs> it's infuriating. But now people are really waking up because I think a lot of it too is that there's light on the other side of this darkness too. And people can experience that. And we have had enough people go through 
the process of reclaiming their sexual identity in the name of God that it's worth the fight now. Before, it's like, it's just an uphill battle with possibly no end. Like, I don't want to walk up Mount Everest. Why would yeah. I want to do that? So anyway, it's a hopeful time. I am aware of the fact that you have one minute left. Is there anything that you like to say? Just, it's been recent. I've been hearing through Dr. Young this kind of message about the source of the fall. It was not a chapter two issue, but it was a chapter one issue. And this is something that's I've heard before, but I feel he's been emphasized, it's resonating more and more. It's the more we really connect to the heart of God, the less we want to kind of deviate. And if we understand sexuality as not just a physical, but an emotional thing, if we are able to tap into, it's almost like tap our emotion into our conscience. If we can do that, then it actually naturally protects against other deviant behavior. And that's something more positive and forward-looking than just don't do chapter two or don't do the bad thing. It's really strengthened the original way that we're meant to be. And it's based on heart. It's not just based on rules. It's really connecting for what does God want for me? You know, mm -hmm. that how much God loves me and God wants the best for me. Yeah. And naturally saying, I want to go this way because I feel your love. Kind of like that. So that's, I feel, the future of education around sexuality. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's very hopeful. It sounds like we're very much in line with all that. And I want to thank you for your time. You have to go. By the way, everybody, I'm staring at a clock and he said very clearly, he's a man of meetings, perpetual meetings. His life is one long meeting. And so off to the next one. But I just want to say thank you so much for your time and for sharing so openly about so many things. And if you guys have any questions, all you have to do is pray and now Kimmy gets them. As a president, he gets all complaints, <laughs> questions and concerns sent directly to him from Spirit World. So just look up and pray and you can reach him. Okay. Yeah. Or I'm sure you can find his email somehow if you ask enough people. But he's already got enough email. Make sure it's an important question. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for having me, Andrew. It's been Thank a pleasure. Till next time. Thank you, bro. See you. Hey, before you go, I wanted you to consider checking out High Noon Connect. So if you go to our website, highnoon.org, you'll notice, first of all, we have a brand new website, which is beautiful. And also, you'll notice that there's the opportunity to join High Noon Connect. The essence of what High Noon is morphing into is a community. We are better together, and sexual integrity involves other people, okay? If you're struggling with pornography, you need the help of brothers and sisters, of people in a community dedicated to helping lift you up. And even if you're not, if you're in a relationship and you just want more intimacy, more love, more joy, or if you're single and you just want to be a person that can live according to their values in the area of sexuality and you want to be around a group of people who are fighting in the same way, then please go to highnoon.org and sign up for High Noon Connect. There's a free version and a paid version. We want to make this as accessible as possible. And we're a nonprofit, so we're not trying to make a buck here. We're just trying to create a community off of Facebook that gives a focused conversation, focused energy, focused attention on building sexual integrity as a cultural intention. So go to highnoon.org. We'll see you there.